Kogmeyer. If you're gonna go stick your head in the sand like that, get out of the sport. Mike Coppinger. Creating a huge mess. It's absurd. No, you're wrong. So, this, the only, seems the like only a cash grab. You need to turn up and you need to be on it. We just started going at it. You gotta go eat. The Pug and Cop Boxing Show on The Athletic. Welcome back to another edition of the Pug and Cop Boxing Show. This is Mike Coppinger alongside Lance Pugmire of The Athletic. We have a lot to get into as always. We have the latest on the Anthony Joshua Tyson Fury saga, what it all means. Will the fight happen soon? We're going to get into the epic Chocolatito Juan Francisco Estrada fight from Saturday. One of the best fights you'll ever see. A full breakdown there. And we'll also have an interview with rising star Virgil Ortiz Jr. who fights Maurice Hooker Saturday on the zone. So if you're not already, please like, subscribe, rate, and review. Now we're going to get right into the show. All right, Lance. So look, we have news today that Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury have signed their contracts for that undisputed heavyweight title fight. Great news, right? Well, we don't want to jump the gun here because it doesn't really mean all that much in my opinion because these guys still need a site deal. That's going to be what brings in the majority of the money here. And they're looking at a site deal in excess of $100 million, Lance. And Saudi Arabia, I'm told, is the front runner. This fight's probably going to land in the Middle East. If it's not Saudi Arabia, maybe Qatar. Maybe Abu Dhabi, which is in which is the capital of the UAE. But right now there is no site deal because COVID restrictions are still imposed in Saudi Arabia. And look, even if they think the restrictions are going to be gone by the summer, it's hard to promote a fight now, not knowing for sure. So if you're looking for that giant site fee, which Fury and Joshua are, it's not there right now. And I don't know that's going to be there tomorrow or next week. I think this fight might get pushed to the fall, maybe even later than that. Because these guys are not going to leave piles and piles of money on the table. We're talking about a site fee of $100 million plus. It could be $120, I'm told. It could be $150. But it's going to be a lot, a lot of money. And we're going to have to wait and see if it's there. Very interesting, Mike. I mean, you did a great job on the reporting. And obviously, giving the readers an update about exactly what's going on in Saudi Arabia and exactly what's going on with this site deal as being a real holdup to the whole deal. I think really clarifies for a lot of people exactly what's going on with this fight because I think the desire for both men to get in the ring is still there, right? There's no question about that. But, you know, financially, you know, these guys have to be satisfied. And until the, that site deal is is in place and confirmed, um, you know, they're not going to be satisfied. So let me, let me, I just wanted to pluck off a few questions for you, Mike, because, you, you know, great reporting, but I just wanted you to elaborate on a couple of points. Do they need to at least get to $100 million, do you think, for this fight to happen? Great question, Lance. I do think so, yes, because they, look, $60 million was the site fee for Andy Ruiz, Anthony Joshua, too. And I was in Riyadh in December of 2019. Mm-hmm. And that's the benchmark right now, $60 million. Obviously, this is a far, far bigger fight than that was. So from what I was told, they were looking at maybe $120 million to $150 million here. But... I mean, like Eddie told me, they, Eddie says that they could go to the fighters and see what the fighters think. The fighters are going to be the ones that have to sign off on the site deal. So if the fighters think that amount of money is on the table, they're certainly not going to accept far less, in my opinion. Yeah. Now, um, you know, given what's going on over in Saudi Arabia, and I know you you laid it out that, look, they're just basically coming back to having people sit down at uh, restaurants. Um, with the COVID restrictions in play, you know, much less being able to uh, uh, pack an arena or a stadium full of people, you know, and make this uh, make this a safe environment. L- I mean, you mentioned, you know, the fall or later in the year. This is something that I mean, when I heard that news, I was I was stunned that it could be delayed that much. What would you say is the soonest this fight could take place, given where we are in the world right now? 
One I heard the soonest is July. I think June, I know June's been tossed around, but I think that's a pipe dream. I think this is more July. And I think even more likely than July is looking at September, October, maybe even December. Wow. I mean, things can change. Look, this is a fluid situation. A country could decide tomorrow that they want to outbid Saudi Arabia and get the rights to the fight and say, you know what, we'll we'll take our chances and that we're going to have fans by then. And everything changes in the blink of an eye. But I think rise of right now, as of today, I think it's more likely to be in September or later um, to get this fight and maximize dollars here. I mean, and I do think that today's uh, today's news about the deal being signed is a direct response to Tyson Fury's comments on ESPN Plus on Friday. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll quote here. Yeah. Tyson Fury said, quote, until I've got a date, a fight, and a hell of a lot of money in my pocket, there is no fight. Nothing's actually on until you're actually in the ring. We're nowhere near that at the moment. So I think I'm going to be fighting Joshua in the next 10 minutes. Hell no. So I think the fight will eventually happen sooner or later. Yes. I'm not going to hold my breath for it. That's for sure. I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket because I've been guilty of doing that before. And then these fights don't happen. And then I end up in a massive depression and feel like killing myself. Oh my God. So I'm not going to say this fight's definitely happening in May, June, August, whenever. And look, obviously Tyson Fury's had his problems with, his mental health issues. He's battled that. He's battled depression. So this is a hard time for him right now. And he was pretty honest about that on Friday on ESPN Plus broadcast of MTK Fight Night. So, and now I don't think it's a coincidence, Lance. Like a couple of days later, we have the report come out um, and maybe trying to counter, counter some of that and hold hope that the fight still is going to happen. And like you said, yeah, it is a good step that the contracts were signed. It shows that these guys do want to fight each other, that they're committed to making the fight happen. But this is boxing and the almighty dollar is going to rain. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, and one of the other things that's at play, and I can't even believe that I'm asking this, you know, given what we thought has been the the whole situation in play, was this arbitration case between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. Now, I was told earlier today that this whole thing could be resolved sometime next month. Now, when next month, we don't know. But if that arbitration is resolved, we had long, you know, believed that it was going to be a, a matter of cash damages going from Tyson Fury uh, and his team over to Deontay Wilder and his team. But the person I spoke to said, look, it's not exactly a slam dunk that they could also stage that trilogy fight that was you know, postponed twice last year, twice at least. And could that fight even take place before Joshua Fury won, Mike? I do think it's possible, Lance, especially now that we have this issue with the site fee and look, if the arbitrator rules in favor of Wilder and that's going on at the same time as the site fee is trying to be secured, maybe Fury and his team say, you know what, screw it. Let's just get Wilder out of the way. And by that time, not only will he be out of the way, but we'll have that site fee we need. So maybe that's going to make most sense after all at the end of all this. Wow. I mean, as much as like, you know, we woke up this morning to this report thinking that, okay, uh, this fight is at hand. It's, it's, it's anything but at this point, right? Anything but, yeah. I mean... We hope it gets done. Obviously, it's the biggest fight in boxing, and it's great for everyone if it happens. But right now, we're really not that much closer than we were a couple of days ago. Maybe a little closer. Amazing, Mike. Well, great job on the story. I mean, you really you really nailed it and put it together. Like I said, communicated it very well to the reader. So please check that story out. It's live right now at The Athletic. Now, I want to go back to the weekend, Mike, because... You know, but we were both in front of our televisions watching this epic super flyweight title fight unification between Juan Francisco Estrada and Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. 
great fight, incredible battle, the most punches ever thrown in a super flyweight fight. Um, yet, you know, again, we have to over 2,500, by the way. Amazing. Um, <laughs> you know, yet again, unfortunately, Mike, we have to talk about a damn scorecard. And, you know, in this case, it was a scorecard turned in by uh, a judge by the name of Carlos Sucre, who had Estrada winning an astounding nine rounds to three over Chocolatito. And I, like I've reported, I don't know anyone in the world who had at nine three Estrada uh, watching that fight. I think that, you know, my, maybe the best case you can make is a draw, um, even though another judge had a, you know, 115, 113 for Estrada. Um, just a stunning uh, turn of events. Uh, still, it doesn't, doesn't diminish that both guys brought it. And Chocolatito looked sensational in this fight. Uh, what was your what was your thoughts and takeaways from that evening? I thought it was the best performance of Chocolatito's career, and that's saying a lot considering the kind of fights he's had in his Hall of Fame career now at this point. Um, yeah, I thought it was a seven five or eight four fight in favor of Chocolatito. Uh, you know, either fifteen thirteen or sixteen twelve. There were a few close rounds. It was a hard fight to score. We'll say that. I don't think it was a robbery, but. You know, maybe a draw would have been fair if not a Chocolatito win. But like you said, Lance, the biggest issue here, the reason we're talking about this and so annoyed is that 117-111 card that Carlos Sucre turned in. I mean, it means that he, I don't know what fight he was watching. It means that Gonzalez never had a chance. And once again, we have to deal with people, you know, saying corruption, saying this, saying that. And it just, it just sucks. And I'm so tired of it. Every time we watch a good fight, there's something that hangs over it. We can never just talk about the fight, it seems. We have to talk about the judges, or something else. And we should have been talking about the greatness of Chocolatito and how great that fight was. I mean, this wasn't just two guys trading punches, you know, flailing at each other, blindly trading. This was two guys violently fighting, but with skill. I mean, the way Chocolatito shifted to the left, shifted to the right, slid around to create angles and punching opportunities. The way he caught punches on his forearms and encountered the way he seamlessly blended offense and defense. I mean, Juan Francisco Estrada, he was great too. The way he was going to the body early in the fight, the jab, the amount of punishment each guy took without wilting. Uh, I mean, I thought Chocolatito absolutely blasted Estrada in the 12th round. I believe it was with an overhand right, and Estrada wobbled, but he took it, and this was boxing at the highest level. And the only reason we're not talking about this fight even more is because of how small they are, 115 pounds. If these were heavyweights, forget about it. This fight would be all over every you know channel everywhere. So again, no judging. Uh, judging reared its ugly head in boxing, and the WBA temporarily suspended Carlos Sucre. Yeah. Now it being the WBA, Lance, I kind of tend to doubt something will come of it. I'm sure in a couple of weeks they'll say they accept his explanation and he's reinstated. But it does at least show everyone how bad of a decision it was, 117-111, that the WBA took action immediately, even if that action is superficial. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, Mike. I mean, I went back and looked at the CompuBox numbers. And again, you can take those with a grain of salt if you like. But seven of the rounds were decided by five five landed punches or less. I mean, it was that competitive. And I agree with you. I just felt like at the end of the day, you have to pick a winner in this fight. It was Chocolatito from the standpoint of you know everything that you laid out. I just felt like his his artistry in there was so superb. I mean, his his punches were so precise. And while Estrada showed so much toughness and so much activity, I think for him it was a record amount of uh, punching volume in any fight that he's ever been in. Just the, the brilliance of Chocolatito, like we said, a four-division world champion performing at the, the peak of his powers, really at the height of his fame, 
was just so impressive. And to have that obscured in a way was a damn shame. You saw, you know what I liked was that Chocolatito, he really showed his class afterward, Mike, right? I mean, in that post-fight interview, he was he was basically like, you know, I know I won, but he didn't say it in a like a mean, bitter way. And he kind of like, you know, um, at, looked up to his fans and, and they cheered him back. And they gave him his props that he he definitely deserved. You know, look, I think to just you know try to uh, uh, put a put a good face on this. The, the best news is is that we we know we we believe anyway that we're probably going to see this fight again. If not, you know, like Estrada will will uh, take this mandatory uh, challenge against the former world champion uh, Rungvasai. Next, and Rungvasai has already told us that you know if he wins that fight, then he'll go back to uh, Chocolatito, and they've already met two times in two very action-packed, memorable bouts as well. So, look, the super hot flyweight division remains very much alive, and I'm, I'm so glad again that as we wrote about last week, the all the credit goes to the, to these two guys. Um, everything that they've done over the course of the of the last decade has been so uh, significant for the lighter weight fighters. And I mean, they put that, uh, you know, on the, on the greatest stage yet, they performed at their best yet. And I just thought for, for each of them, it was a tribute to, you know, the, the dues that they've paid and the talent that they have. Mike, let me just ask you a question at this point. I mean, do you, do you think that Estrada is okay in going to his mandatory against Rung Vasai? Or would you rather him say, you know what, Chocolatito deserves that and we need to get in the ring next, you know, titles be damned. I mean, honestly, I do think I'm I'm even fine with Estrada uh, fighting Rungvisai next. I think sometimes you can get a bit of a fatigue as a fan watching the same matchup twice in a row, even if it's a great fight like this. I'm totally cool with that. Have Chocolatito fight maybe Kazuto Ioka, mm-hmm. and then have Rungvisai fight Estrada again, and then the winners can fight each other, and then the losers can fight each other too. I mean, yeah. do it like that, but... I think what I'm interested in finding out now is is any are any of these guys going to be able to step up and fight Naoya Inoue at 118 pounds in the near future? Uh, they've been you know they've been through such such excessive wars, Mike. I mean, I just don't see it. I think that Inoue's got his own little path, and it does not include these guys. Uh, I think that they would honestly, I, I would see them having a tough time because Inoue is just a you know the far younger, far fresher fighter. Um, I would see him winning winning those fights, no matter who who he's going against, and you know anyone that would be coming up from super flyweight. Because there's no one right now for a new way, and it it just it's too bad. I mean, he's one of the great fighters in the sport, and he needs somebody. And I think, you know, maybe it could be Chocolatito, but I, you know, I, I don't want to write him off, even in a fight like that. Or maybe it's Rungvisai. Rungvisai is is a bigger guy at 115 pounds, so but some he's going to need a challenge at some point, Lance, and I hope it comes out soon, but. You know, before we move on, where do you think Chocolatito belongs on the pound for pound list right now? Man, I know. Look, I know that he's he's been absent, right? I mean, he's been out of the list. But coming on the heels of that uh, fight, you know, the fact that it's a loss, I think he's going to stay out of the top ten. But look, if you've got Estrada wherever he is, eight, nine, ten, you've got to you've got to put Chocolatito right there ne- next to him or right there with him because. Look at what the look at what the the fight that those guys just gave us. I mean, it was it was it was down to the wire. Uh, to me, I had it a draw, but like I said, look, if I'm looking at a tiebreaker, I w- I'm giving it to Chocolatito because he won the twelfth round. And I just think that you know, gun to your head, who won that fight? You say Chocolatito. So look, if if someone 
put Chocolatito ninth on the list and kept Estrada off the list as a as a form of protest to the scoring, go ahead and do it. But uh, you know, look, he's still he's still hovering there the top ten, Mike, um, and it's a great accomplishment given that the knockout that he suffered against Rung Vasai uh, back in 2017. Everything he's done to rebuild himself is so impressive. And like we said, uh, we saw a prime Chocolatito on Saturday night. And I think anyone who saw that fight was thankful for that opportunity. Yeah, Lance. And we're also thankful that we're going to get a big step up this weekend for Virgil Ortiz Jr., one of the rising stars in the sport. He fights former champion Maurice Hooker Saturday on the zone. That's going to be in Dallas, where both fighters hail from. So good step up. But even with the step up, Virgil Ortiz is a big favorite, Lance. And I think there's a good reason why. You know, this guy looks, he's a great pressure fighter. He's really technically sound and he's looked so damn good so far. But now he's going to fight a guy, Maurice Hooker, who's battle tested, who had that fight with Jose Ramirez. And he's a big, tall, lanky guy. I mean, do you think Hooker's going to present any challenges? I think so. Look, I mean, he's shifted uh, training camps. He's now with Brian McIntyre. He's consulting the likes of uh, world champions Terrence Crawford and Jamel Herring in that Nebraska gym. I think that's only gonna, going to help Maurice Hooker. He's a smart guy. We know this this guy is definitely dedicated to the craft of boxing, and I think he's going to lean on every bit of that, including his reach, to try to you know win a technical decision over uh, Virgil Ortiz. You know, can he get away with it with Virgil Ortiz's pressure and power? I don't think so, but I think Maurice Hooker intends to uh, try to succeed that way. And uh, to me, it's a very interesting fight to watch because if Virgil Ortiz can can solve, you know, what seems to be a complicated riddle going in, then I think, you know, um, anything is before Virgil Ortiz. And I'm sure he's going to step up and and be asking for world champions at that point. Yeah, Lance, I'm sure too. And obviously the big fight out there for him is going to be Terrence Crawford because neither guys with PBC where all the best 147 pounders are besides those two. So it's going to be a natural fight. But let's hear from the man himself now, Lance. We're going to welcome Virgil Ortiz Jr. to the show for a conversation with Lance Pugmire. So welcome back, everyone. We're so lucky today to be joined by undefeated welterweight Virgil Ortiz, 16-0 with 16 knockouts, who's going to be returning to the ring Saturday, March 20th, and in the biggest fight of his career, facing former 140-pound champion Maurice Mighty Mo Hooker in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, really a homecoming, sort of, for Virgil and, and for Maurice. Both of these guys are for, from Texas. There's so much on the line uh, with, with, with each of their futures. And I know, Virgil, for you, to be able to be participating on a DAZN main event, it's something that you have done before, but never to this level. What is your excitement level about this fight and what it means for your career? You know, I'm, I'm very excited for this fight. You know, that's just an understatement. You know, first of all, it's, it's a main event in my hometown against a, a fighter that I wanted to fight back at 140. You know, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a really good uh, fight. It's going to be very explosive. It's going to be competitive. I honestly can't wait to watch it after. Yeah, I mean, look, refer to that because, like you said, it's not just the fact that you guys were uh, each at 140 at one point. It's that you guys are basically from the same town. Uh, what is, yeah. is, is there a rivalry that exists between you and Hooker? Have you guys gone back and forth on social media, or is there a, a pretty deep level of respect given, you know, I kind of know your story of what you've uh, overcome to be, you know, the success you are. And he obviously, too, has, you know, come from a pretty poor neighborhood to make a, a great life for himself. So how do you, how do you feel about him? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't feel I don't have any uh, negative feelings towards him at all. You know, he's a good guy. Um, when he fought Jose Ramirez, I heard nothing but good things from all my coaches. Like, yeah, he's a really nice guy, even after the fight. Yeah. So you know, I really don't have anything bad to say about him. He's a he's a good fighter. Uh, I've I've known him for a minute now. You know, he's a uh, in the Dallas boxing scene. But yeah, I mean, other than that, you know, they're, they're, we don't have like a, a rivalry or anything, you know. You can want to fight someone and don't have any bad feelings towards them, you know. Yeah, but I'm sure once the fight starts, there's going to be some bad feelings, right? <laughs> eh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, let me let me ask you this, because to me, Virgil, this is like the biggest question that I have um, heading into this fight for you. Let's go over your last four opponents. Uh, veteran Mauricio Herrera, basically in his last fight, right? Third round knockout uh, in May 2019. Then Antonio Orozco, um, obviously a, a very strong 140-pound contender, but had taken a loss. You beat him by six-round knockout in August 2019. Then uh, a veteran guy that was expected to really test you, Brad Solomon, Brad Solomon, a crafty guy. You get a fifth-round knockout in December 2019 against him. And then another veteran, Samuel Vargas, in, in July, seventh-round knockout. My question is, 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 are those fights, did they, did they do enough to truly prepare you for the test that you're going to receive in this, a former 140 pound champion, Marie Zucker? I mean, honestly, I felt like I was ready when I was still 140 pounder to fight him. I, I really did think that I could have beat him back then. Uh, I still think the same thing now. But, uh, I mean, yeah, those fights, uh, I definitely got a lot of experience in those fights. Uh, I, not only that, I got a lot of confidence. I got a lot of confidence in myself and, you know, I felt like I could beat him back then. You know, I, I'm pretty confident I can beat him now. You know, I'm a lot stronger and I'm a lot faster. I'm a lot smarter compared to what I was at 140, maybe like, what, two, three years ago. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I do think that those fights have benefited me in, in some factor. All right, Lance, let's take a real quick pause here as we hear from one of our sponsors. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about the confidence, what are you what are you referring to specifically? I mean, like we said, I mean, the, the list of those guys, all of them are you know have some have been in the ring for a long time, so there is a lot of veteran uh, yeah. awareness. Is that what you picked up on? It's yeah, it's, it's like uh like the fact that those guys have fought a lot of other good guys. You know, like let me see, Mauricio Herrera has been in the ring with Danny Garcia. Yeah. He's with uh you know Benavides, uh, you know, and I knocked him out. He had never been knocked out before. True. Uh, Antonio Roscoe, he only had one loss, and that was to my teammate Jose Ramirez. Good and, point. And then, you know, I, I knocked him out. Um, and, and a lot of people say that, you know, he was coming up and weighing out from 140 to 147. I mean, you know, those many times that he missed uh, weight at 140. So, like, that could have been uh, uh, saying that he's not a true 140. He's supposed to be at 147. But, uh, and, you know, I fought Samuel Vargas. Samuel Vargas has been in there with Errol Spence, Danny Garcia. He's been in there with some other names that I kind of forgot. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the fact that I've been in the ring with those guys who have been in the ring with other guys that makes me feel confident in myself now. Yeah, okay. And, you know, one of the other things that's in play is that, you know, your work with the, the trainer, Robert Garcia, what have you gained – uh, by being with him, and obviously you have your father, Virgil Senior, uh, there. Basically, I don't, I don't want to call him an assistant because he's basically coached you uh, f- for your entire life, but he's there helping as well. But Robert Garcia's impact exactly has been what, and what has it meant to your career? 
Well, Robert, first of all, he, you know, he, he's more than just a coach. You know, he's a, he, he kind of like, he, you know, he's a life mentor. He, he, he's really smart. He did. Robert is definitely really smart. And, uh, you know, you need to have one of those guys. You don't, you don't just want a guy who tells you how to throw a punch inside the ring. You need him to know the ins and outs of boxing, yeah. the business side and, uh, you know, all that stuff. So I, w- I would say that he, he does a little bit of everything, to be honest. And that's that's what we need. That's what we need. Someone we need someone that we can trust that that can uh, that can help us whenever we need it. Yeah, and part of that is you've you've changed managements, right? You, you, you're now with uh, uh, Rick Merigian, and is that correct? Yes. And how? What made you um, make that switch? And how is that going so far? What is what's going to happen as a result of that for you? Well, you know, we I never really actually had a manager up until I had Rick. You know, uh, it was always uh, Robert and and my dad handling the stuff and uh really they just uh we just decided um it's it's time to start we know we're getting to that level where maybe they, it's time to start for them to focus only on uh coaching you know like just put all their effort into coaching so we can get the best version out of me and we can have one guy do all the other stuff you know and and someone experienced like rick Merigan, you know he's a he, he's uh, you know he's my uh my favorite boxers manager not not uh-huh. only that, but I hear I hear a lot of good stuff about Rick from everyone, like literally everyone, and so that that gives me uh, a lot of like it, it lets me trust him. You know, he he does his job really well, and uh, I need I need I need someone that I can trust in my corner. You've got some good minds in that gym, son of a gun. When you factor in that Mikey Garcia is also in that in that gym, there's a lot of guys and a lot of a wealth of knowledge that you can really draw upon. Because look, let's be honest, we know how talented you are, and we can all kind of see the um, the great things before you. So knowing that you're you know headed the right way and handling things the right way at this young age of 22 is so important, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, and you know what? I'll, we're just we're just getting better every day, and all those people are helping me. That's great. Pushing me every day. Now, I think it's a, an, an interesting element of this fight is, you know, with Robert Garcia and your father and your corner, Maurice Hooker has now uh, switched things up, and he's now with Brian McIntyre, who also trains uh, undefeated welterweight champion Terrence Crawford. So there is going to be a great battle of minds uh, between the corner men in play. Is that going to be an issue in this fight? I mean, how do you how do you see uh, Hooker changing? How, how, how do you expect him to test you? based on this new alliance that he has with McIntyre? Well, as far as uh, how I think he's going to change, I I think that he's going to learn from his Jose Ramirez fight. You know, uh, everyone has asked me, have you watched the Jose Ramirez fight? Are you you basing your strategy off of that fight? I'm like, no, that would actually be the bad thing to do because obviously he's going to learn from his mistakes. Um, You know, I'm, I'm bigger than Jose. I'm stronger than Jose. There's, there's really no good reason for, Booker to stay inside with me like he did with Jose. You know he's gonna want to keep me out. He's gonna use his reach. So uh, and I and I I know that his uh, trainer is gonna help him do that. His new trainer with Terrence Crawford. You know I'm I'm pretty sure that he's more of like a boxing style coach. That's exactly what he needs to work on if he wants to come out with a win. Uh, yeah, like I mean, really, we're just we're gonna do what we do best, and really, that's that's to improvise. That's that's to to adjust when I need to. If I you know it's one thing isn't gonna work with every fighter. And not only that, that one thing they, they can adjust to that as well. So we just, we work on a lot of different things. We work on fighting inside, we'll work on fighting outside. We'll work on fighting forward or backwards. You know, we just got to work on a lot of different things to make sure that whatever he throws at us, uh, we're not surprised and we're ready. 
You know, Terrence Crawford, who, you know, makes it a habit of attending big fights. He was just there watching Canelo uh, recently. Um, is going to likely be ringside watching uh, his buddy McIntyre, you know, train Hooker in the ring. Um, can this be a message fight from you to Terrence Crawford? Um, and is there a possibility that you could ultimately, you know, force his hand and, and, and see that maybe you're Terrence Crawford's next opponent, if not his next opponent, someone who fights him later on this year? Man, you know what? I think that's more than a possibility. I think it's a, almost an inevitability at this point because it's, uh, you know, I mean, not only is, am I fighting his, uh, his teammate, you know, let's say I beat him. Let's just say I beat yeah. him hypothetically. I beat him. Uh, I I'm winning the WBO belt, uh, the international belt, you know, Crawford holds the WBO world title belt. Um, there, there's been talks of Oscar De La Hoya and Bob Arum, you know, talking about my fight, you know, with, with uh, Crawford and, I'm I'm pretty sure uh, if, if I beat uh, their guy, they're gonna feel some type of way and kind of want to get us back. I I think that that fight is like 99 percent gonna happen by the end of the year. By the end of the year, most maybe most likely, probably. That'd be great. What do you think about that? Uh, I'm 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 excited for it. Trust me. I like I I really am. It makes me smile. <laughs> So look, Virgil, I think that that speaks to the confidence that you have as a 22-year-old, the fact that you are sort of like this, have this unblinking, unflinching attitude toward someone like Terrence Crawford, who's a three-division champion, uh, obvi- obviously an undefeated uh, WBL welterweight champion. What, talk, to the, talk to the listeners about the confidence that you have going into that fight. Why would you be so confident? Well, I, I'm confident because I just I just believe in my skill set. It's it's not that I I believe that I can I can knock out uh, Crawford or, or be him or or anything like that. You know, I just I fully believe in my skill set. I think that I have enough experience. I, I've I've fought against uh, some some big names already, and uh, you know I'm I'm willing to take the step forward and, and fight the best. And you know, a lot of people have him number one, number two, pound for pound. Um, I, I'm willing to take that risk. You know, I uh, I want to be the best, and to do that, you have to fight the best. Absolutely. You know, I th- and I think that, that mentality is part of what I'm going to ask you in this next question, and that is, you know, with Canelo's departure from Golden Boy Promotions and that stable, you and Ryan Garcia are now really carrying the banner for Oscar De La Hoya. And while Oscar and and Ryan Garcia have feuded sometimes, your relationship with Oscar is very strong. Why is that? And what does it mean to you to really be, like I said, that banner banner waving fighter for Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy Promotions? Well, you know, it, it feels it feels really uh, like I'm honored. I'm honored to to be one of those uh, big names, uh, you know, in the the Golden Boy banner. It, it feels like a responsibility, and but it's it's a good responsibility. You know, I want to make sure that people know that that Golden Boy is one of the best uh, promotions out there. You know, they they treat me really good. And, uh, you know, I put on good shows for them. And as far as uh, me and my uh, relationship with uh, Oscar, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty good friends. You know, at first uh, I was a little starstruck. I was, I was a little scared to talk to him at times. But, yeah, he, I mean, he's, he's a friend now. I see him as a friend now. Um, you know, he, he talks to me all the time. We make jokes and all that stuff. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty good to see how far things have gotten. That's great. I, I, I know that there's a, a, a very interesting dichotomy with you. And you, um, I think one of your publicists sent over a clip 
of you playing guitar. And I know you know a lot. You know so many songs on your guitar. Is that your number one hobby? And you can you discuss the peace and tranquility that that brings you in, in, in relaxing and playing guitar? Yeah, uh, I think that is my number one hobby. I love playing the guitar, you know. I love music in general. You know, if I'm not playing the guitar or playing the piano, I'm, I'm just straight up listening to music, trying to get... Um, you know, trying to really broaden my my spectrum of music, but you know, it's just the the feeling of learning your favorite song. You know, it's just learning it inside and out. It, it can be a good thing and a bad thing, to be honest. You know, it's uh, it's a good thing because now I can play my favorite song. You know, there's nothing better than that. But there's something about knowing your song inside and out. It's almost like it gets uh, predictable, almost. You know, like. Yeah. Like how do I say this? Like there's a lot of songs where I'll listen to it and I'll hear something different. I'm like, wow, like I didn't I didn't know there was like these little bells in the background or whatever. So that's that stuff interests me. It really does. And uh, when I learn a song, I, I have to learn it inside and out. I have to be able to play with my eyes closed, you know, I have to play it upside down or whatever. But yeah, man, it's uh well for the most part, guitar playing I, I love playing the guitar. I've got a test for you. I got a song for you. I don't know if you can play this or not, but I want you to learn it because it's so incredible. I was what listening it? to it the other day on the radio. Uh, Heartbreaker by Led Zeppelin. Let's, There's I, a guitar solo in there. Can you play that? I, I've never even heard of it. Too. I might have heard it Try, before. Check it out. I got you. Check it out. Jimmy Page. I, I'll definitely try to do it. Okay, cool. Um, but you know, the other thing is, is that you obviously have a killer side in that ring. Um, can you talk about that mentality that takes, takes over once that first bell rings and what are you thinking in there about damaging your opponent and getting him out of there? Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like I'm a pretty nice guy. Uh, but once, once the bell rings, you know, I'm, I'm literally a complete different person. Uh, I'm just, I'm out there stalking you. I, I kind of turn on like my predator mindset. Uh, I'm, I'm just, looking for any signs of weakness, you know, it's any signs of, you know, are you scared or did you take that punch? Right. Did, did you mentally take it right? And I even just physically, but mentally, you know, did, did you kind of like kind of, I don't know how to say it. Like you kind of, you know, when you get hit and you're like, you kind of like do that, like cringe at it a little bit. Like I, I look for signs like that. And really I'm, I'm, I'm in there to take you Wow, You know, that's so that's yeah. I'm, I'm in there to win and i'm for the most part i'm in there so you don't hurt me so really it's it, i have that mentality it's either you or me buddy you know that, that that's how i think of it so yeah i i can switch it on and off like like that I, i'm really good at, at stuff like that i don't let my emotions take over me at all i just know what to do now we talked to edgar berlanga who has that first round knockout streak going uh, so strongly right now. Now you, you know, with 16 and 0 with 16 knockouts, I think if anyone's going to present you a complex test to solve and try to avoid the knockout, it's going to be Maurice Hooker. Are you hell bent not on getting that knockout or will you be content to win by decision if that's what it takes? I'll definitely be happy if I get the decision. You know, that's that's much needed round experience that I need, um, especially with a, a, a world title fight uh, coming very soon. But I think that uh, I, I'm not too, I'm not really, I don't feel like I'm forced to get the knockout, you know? I'm just, to be honest, it comes better when I don't think about it. So that's, I'm going to continue doing that. 
Great. Last thing for me, Virgil, is that, you know, you mentioned it. You've got Jose Ramirez, a guy who has fought uh, Maurice Hooker in your camp. Um, obviously, what has been the most important thing that you've tried to glean from him in your consultations with him about fighting uh, Maurice Hooker and beating Maurice Hooker? I mean, really, like I said before, you know, we're two different fighters. What might have worked for him might not work with me. You know, um, really, it's a, it's not necessarily like trying to copy the way that he fought uh, Maurice Hooker. It's more like kind of the base it around it and do what I do best. Like at my own version of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, other than that, it's just uh, we're just going to do what, what works for me and what's working at the moment. That's that's what I like to do. I, I love to do that. That's it's worked every fight. It's literally worked every fight. Just just to adapt. Well, what what's that thing that a uh, bear girl says? He he says like something adapt overcome or something like that. I don't know uh-huh. some shit like that. But yeah, that's that's literally what I do inside the ring. I I never have a, a full on plan to do. You know, first round fill him out. If if I hurt him, if I happen to hurt him. You know, just doing just doing what I do best, which is just a fight. Cautious, that's when I go for the kill. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's so cool, Virgil. I mean, you and your father, we did a, a story um, last year on you guys and, and just the things that you guys overcame in Texas growing up together and making it together. Um, it's got to yeah. mean the world for you to, to step back into Texas in a main event. What do you think that moment is going to feel like, you know, given how far you've come in your life? Oh, man, I, you know what? I couldn't even tell you right now. I'm so I'm actually kind of like still stuck in that that Indio Fantasy Springs bubble type feel with no <laughs> fans. I kind of forgot how I felt like I and I'm excited. I'm excited to, to see what that feels like. again. Well, hey, thanks a lot. Everyone's looking forward to it. We really appreciate your time today, Virgil. Good luck on Saturday. Take care of business and we will talk to you again soon. All right. Cool, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, Lance. Let's take a real quick pause here as we hear from one of our sponsors. Thanks again to Virgil Ortiz Jr. for the time. If you're not already doing so, you can follow Virgil Ortiz on both Twitter and on Instagram at Virgil Ortiz. Lance, what's your immediate takeaway? Do you feel differently about this fight after talking to him? Look, this is a kid with a ton of confidence, Mike. And I think, you know, sometimes when you hear young fighters talk, you you ask yourself, you know, you're weighing, is it their you know, youthful exuberance and their immaturity that we're hearing from, or is it their pure confidence? And I think what we heard from Virgil Ortiz is pure confidence. This is a a kid who believes that he's going to knock off this former world champion and Maurice Hooker. And then, you know, look, he says within the next year, I believe there's a 99% chance that I'll fight Terrence Crawford. He's going to have Terrence Crawford likely watching that fight from ringside since Crawford is also trained by Brian McIntyre. And, Look, I mean, I, I, I'll have a story coming out uh, tomorrow at The Athletic where we talk to several people about, is Virgil Ortiz ready for this challenge? You know, su- should such a young fighter uh, be calling out someone who's ranked in the top three pound for pound? You know, it, and it varies, but some people say, look, all the greats did it, right? Oscar De La Hoya did it. Floyd Mayweather Jr. did it. And why, why wouldn't Virgil Ortiz feeling at this point with 16, at 16 and 0 with 16 knockouts that he can push himself and test himself and see how good he is against the best guy in his division. So look, hats off to him. Let's see how strong he looks against Maurice Hooker. Um, I mean, you've seen Virgil. I mean, how impressed with him are you? Really impressed so far. I mean, against limited opposition, 
He's, he has a killer instinct. He knows how to cut off the ring, which is not easy. He has a great power. He has a great jab and he works really hard and he has a great trainer in Robert Garcia. So I think he has really, really high upside here, but we're going to get a better sense of where he is right now against Maurice Hooker, who's really the first real test of his career. So I'm looking forward to that on Saturday on the zone. And Lance, uh, we have some odds here per our sponsor, bet MGM for Virgil Ortiz minus 1000, uh, 10 to one favorite there. Maurice Hooker plus 600. What do you think? I'm going to I'm going to go with Virgil Ortiz. I think that this is a fight that's uh laid out for him. I think that just the pressure that he's going to bring to Maurice Hooker, I don't think Maurice Hooker is going to be able to escape him. I mean, he, I know that Virgil kind of, you know, drew that line of separation between what he's going to bring to Maurice Hooker and what Jose Ramirez brought to Maurice Hooker, but look, we 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 were there. We saw we saw the pressure that Ramirez uh brought upon Hooker when he had him up against the ropes. And you just know that that's what Virgil Ortiz is aiming to do at some point. He's going to try to get him cornered and just let the, let those power punches fly. And I can see that happening. Honestly, Mike, um, so look, BetMGM, Mike, has it uh, plus 800 for Ortiz to take out Hooker in the fifth round. I can see it going to about the ninth. What's, what's your thoughts on, you know, fifth round, sixth round? Do you think he's going to get him out of there early? Or do you think this is going to be a fight that goes the distance? I think, you know, Maurice Hooker is a big, durable guy. I think it was the seventh round where Virgil Ortiz's stablemate, Jose Ramirez, got Hooker out of there. I'm going to say this is going to be round, maybe round six through eight, six, seven, eight, maybe the ninth, like you said, somewhere in there. So let me ask you this, Mike, because you know both guys pretty well. Do you think that there's a possibility that pride could could be could become an issue here, where if Virgil Ortiz executes his plan and finishes Maurice Hooker, that Bomac, the trainer, and uh, Ver- and Terence Crawford will both you know want to avenge some justice or exact some justice uh, for their fallen camp comrade and take on Virgil Ortiz out of spite. Do you think that could happen or is that something that you're just not expecting to be an issue at all? Uh, I don't know if it'd be out of spite or anything, but yeah, I mean, Terrence Crawford and Morris Hooker are good friends. Terrence is always at his fights. They're with the same trainer. Sure. Maybe you could lead something, create some storylines and it's a natural fight for Crawford too. So I could see that happening in the near future. Um, but uh, moving on quick lens, a couple more things we have. Speaking of big favorites, David Benavidez was a massive favorite over Ronald Ellis and the fight played out exactly like we thought it would. Benavidez gets the 11th round stoppage. Uh, Ellis hung tough, but that was a complete mismatch and Benavidez just poured it on, um, you know, 10 punch combinations like he's used to speed power. I think Benavidez is the real deal. Now we just need a real opponent for him to show it. Yeah, I mean, Benavides when he was on the Pug and Cop show last week, said uh, point blank, he wants Jamal Charlo. I think that that'd be a great fight to make. I had a conversation today with uh, uh, a source, and, and basically what he said is that he believes that Jamal Charlo is going to be fighting someone else around June, July. So that's unfortunate. I hate to hear that because this fight is there for the taking, as we, as we spoke about last week, and you would hope that you know, PBC, who's got both these guys under under the same banner, could find a way to get this, uh, you know, a significant fight like this done. I mean, this is something that would definitely um, lead to the winner of this fight being in great position to take on the likely Canelo Alvarez, Caleb Plant winner 
uh, after that fight takes place in September. So I wish that it would go that route instead of the route it's going, which seems to be a Jamal Charlo middleweight title defense against someone else, someone lesser, uh, coming around the summertime. Yeah, it's too bad. I, I also heard today that Charlo Benavidez is unlikely, and I'm assuming that for Charlo it could be the mandatory Juan Masael. So we'll see there. But Benavidez needs a big fight already. Enough is enough. And um, lastly, Lance, we have the sad, sad news that marvelous Marvin Hagler passed away over the weekends on Saturday, and you know, just uh, just one of the greatest fighters of all time. Obviously, known best known probably for that three rounds war. With Tommy the Hitman Hearns. Also, though, some great fights with John Mugabe. And then we have the final fight of his career where he has the controversial loss to Sugar Ray Leonard and then walks away from the sport. And to me, that's his enduring legacy. He walked away when he thought it was enough was enough. And that's a rare trade in boxing. It really is, Mike. And I think that, you know, look, um, in a story that I did, uh, you know, some people described Marvin Hagler as the blueprint for what a boxer should be. And there's a lot of different elements uh, that fall in line with that. You know, one, he was tremendously loyal to his um, trainers, managers, Goody and Pat Petronelli, who, you know, Marvin didn't really, didn't really have a, a father figure in his life. His mother actually dropped him off at the, at the boxing gym. And in the Petronellis, he found uh, a replacement for his, his father. And he, I mean, the love that he showed for those two gentlemen was unbelievable and undeniable. And he was also loyal to, to his promoter, Bob Arum. You know, Hagler became so successful that, you know, Arum's rival, Don King, made several runs at Hagler to no avail. Um, and Hagler also protected his money, Mike. I mean, we know some guys like Bernard Hopkins um, who have done that. But let's be honest, that's really a, a, a rare attribute uh, in this sport where there's so many different people tugging on you and you've, you know, usually can't come from a place of uh, great personal difficulty where you don't have a lot of people really advising you financially. But he protected his money. He had a lot of money when he when he ended. He had the uh, comfort and ability to say enough is enough after the Sugar Ray Leonard loss. I mean, he was, uh, when I talked to Bob Arum about that great war that he had with Tommy Hearns, Marvin had communicated it to Arum already. I'll fight Sugar Ray Leonard and then I'm done. And it did not really matter what the outcome was and the fact that it was a, a bitter loss. Yes, he was hurt by that and he retreated to Italy to uh, find his peace of mind. And I, you know, I was making a reference to this uh, today, Mike, and some, something I was writing is that when I, you know, gr growing up and watching Marvin Hagler during the States, he was just seemed like this ornery, kind of surly, nasty guy. Remember that? And he was such a, like a, a badass. He would wear that uh, red war hat and he would wear those shades. He just looked so, so imposing, you know, almost frightening. But really, I mean, in his later, later years, he became known as like one of the most kindest, uh, loving gentlemen there was. He was a, a big advocate of doing things for, and giving money to children. Um, he was a, a constant at, you know, some of the boxing conventions and the International Boxing Hall of Fame annual gathering where, you know, all the boxers would huddle around him and to hear his war stories. And at the end of the day, whatever bitterness was attached to his loss to Sugar Ray Leonard, I think what the ultimate takeaway should be is that this was a man who was greatness personified in the ring and greatness personified as a human being. And, you know, I think the boxing and the world will be a lot lesser without marvelous Marvin Hagler. Well said, Lance. Nicely said. And, uh, yeah, rest in peace, Marvin Hagler. 
that's our show for today. And we will see you again later this week where we'll have more, much more to talk about in the world of boxing. Thanks, everyone.